So that's John chapter 15 and from verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you very much for this time that we have now to look at your word and please, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes, soften our hearts, give us ears that long to hear what you're saying to us in your words, what you're saying into our lives today so that we might see Jesus more clearly and, and follow him and know him and live for him and glorify him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want you to do is I want you to come on a journey with me, okay? just a, a metaphorical mental journey. I don't want you to actually get up and do anything, but think, listen, imagine you are walking, okay? like on the picture, you're walking, you're trudging along an empty, isolated road in the middle of nowhere by yourself, okay? and it's cold and it is spitting with rain and it is getting dark. And you're carrying a heavy backpack as you walk along, as you trudge along. You've got this heavy backpack on, and it's heavy. And this backpack mysteriously is getting heavier as you walk. It's getting worse. And, you, and eventually you think, what's going on here? And you stop, and you get this backpack, and you open it, and it's full of bricks. Oh, this is terrible. And you attempt to kind of think, what's the point of carrying this? So you, you sort of try and leave it at the side of the road... But you find that you can't, and it ends up on your back again. And 
you, it's even heavier than before and you are walking with this down the road and you begin to despair, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to reach my destination. And this backpack is going to weigh me down until I die all by myself in a ditch. Okay? And then suddenly, out of the darkness comes another figure heading towards you. And he comes to you and he meets you. And you notice he isn't carrying a backpack. And he says to you, do you want me to take that backpack from you? And you say, would, would you do that for me? And he says, yes, I'll take it from you. And, and you hand it to him and he takes it and he walks off back the way that you came into the darkness. The burden that you were carrying is gone. And you're glad for that. But now you're left to carry on the journey alone. And so you trudge on. You're relieved of your burden and you're determined now that you will reach your destination after all, no matter what. And when it gets tough, you squeeze your eyes shut and you try to remember, he took my burden. I can't give up now. That would dishonour him and what he did. And so you trudge on alone into eternity. The end. Okay, well, does that story sound in any way a little bit familiar, maybe in just one or two respects? Now, I'm telling you that story not because I think it's the story that I want you to tell or it's the story that I want you to live. That's not why I'm, I'm telling you that, but because it's a picture of the way many of us consciously or unconsciously imagine what it means to be a Christian. So we say, oh, Jesus has paid the penalty for my sins. Hooray, that's good news, fantastic. He, he's relieved me of that terrible burden. But the upshot of that then is that I'm left to travel on alone. Whatever remains of the Christian life is basically down to me to sort out by myself, I think. And so I trudge on, and when it gets tough, I grit my teeth and I try to remember, Jesus loves me very much, he died for me, and so now I must press on for him. And so the question for us this evening is, is that the right picture of the Christian life? Jesus is talking in the reading that we heard, chapter 15, John's Gospel, he's talking about what life is going to look like once he has gone away. First for his own disciples there and then, but then for all his followers like us a couple of thousand years later. He's talked about the hope that his followers can have in the face of death. He's talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit as a helper who lives in us, as we saw last time. And now he gives a further picture to encourage his followers as they face what looks like a lonely journey. Because they're looking ahead and they're thinking, Jesus says he's going. We're going to be by ourselves. And so they're, they're, it's like that picture of being on that road and thinking, I'm all by myself. Is that what it's going to be like? That's the question. And he gives them this image to help them understand what it will be like. He gives this image of the vine. He says, I am the true vine. Now, do you know what a vine is? We live in London. The vines aren't things that we have everywhere. In those days, they'd known exactly what a vine is. A vine is what you grow grapes on in order to 
make wine. Not very complicated, but that, that's what a vine is, just so, just so we're all clear. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And so what he's saying is when you put your trust in Jesus, your future isn't one of lonely trudging on in your own strength. The future is not all down to you. Your future is in connection with Jesus, the vine. Bearing fruit as you remain in him. That is what we're going to see. So we're going to see that now. You can see on the back of the notice sheets, a couple of um, headings there. Two main things to, to see. Saying essentially the same thing, but one emphasizing the negative, one emphasizing the positive. So first of all, verses 1 to 8. If you don't remain in Christ, you can't bear fruit. If you don't remain in Christ, you can't bear fruit. Verses 1 to 8. Well, John's style, I don't know if you noticed this, John's style as he, as he writes his gospel is often circular. So he tends to kind of circle around. As he reports what Jesus said, he, we hear the same thing expressed in slightly different ways as we go through the verses. He's not like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is much more linear. Just tells everything, you know, this happens and I argue this, and therefore this, and therefore this. But John sort of says, and he, and he circles back, and he says it again in a slightly different way, and he spirals around, and he keeps going backwards and forwards. So we, we get that a bit in these verses, and that's why it sort of seems a bit repetitive. But the thing that keeps being repeated is remain. Remain in Jesus, who is the true vine. And so thinking about that sort of more negatively, Jesus' point is, it is impossible to bear fruit if you're not part of the vine, if you're not in him. Now later we will see what fruit he's actually talking about. Okay, what does he mean when he says uh, you, you, you can't bear fruit without being a me? But he hasn't, doesn't actually define what the fruit is in, these, in verses 1 to 8. If you look, you can see he doesn't actually say, he just talks about fruit. And then we'll come to the fruit in verses 9 to 16, which make it clear that the fruit he's talking about is growing in love and obedience, obeying him. Okay, so that is what the fruit is, and we'll come back to that. But for now, we need to get the basic point, you see. The basic point is this, that unless you are connected to Jesus in the vine, you can't do anything worth doing as a Christian. So fruitless branches get cut off. Can you see that in verse 2? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. But he says, you are clean, so you're connected to Jesus, so now you just have to remain where you are, remain connected to Jesus, remain in the vine. Verse 4, you can't bear fruit by yourself. So this is like the idea of, of, of going to a fruit tree and having a look at a fruit tree, okay? I don't know if you've got a, um, a, you know, observed a fruit tree recently. We've got a couple of uh, fruit trees in our garden. We've got an apple tree and a plum tree. And, and this is the time of year where you get blossom. Now, I am not a good gardener, okay? I know very little about gardening. And, and as a non-expert, um, I have learnt um, that when you get blossom on a fruit tree, it's the fruit trees telling you, hey, there's going to be fruit here soon. And so the, the blossom says, uh, is the beginning of when, where fruit will come. That's what the point of the blossom is, at least on a fruit tree. I think if it isn't a fruit tree, you, you might still get blossomed, but... You won't get any fruit. But anyway, um, th so this is the time of year where that happens. The tree is telling you there's going to be fruit. 
But there is a kind of condition that comes with that. So you get the blossom that says there's going to be fruit, but there is one condition on that tree, which I've learnt as an expertly non-expert gardener. And the condition is that the fruit will only come if the branch remains attached to the rest of the tree. Okay? It's not, it's not rocket science, is it, this? But it, it's, it is exactly what Jesus is talking about. You see, if you cut off the branch at the point, look, the blossom's come, and you think, oh, hooray, fruit's coming. No, if you cut it off from the tree, what will happen? Well, the answer is absolutely nothing at all. You will not get any fruit. Now, you know, if you, if you did do that, if you, if you cut it off and then you just tried leaving the branch next to the tree, would that help? No, it wouldn't help, would, you? would it? If you, tried, if you took the branch you've cut off and you tried sort of laying it on the tree and sort of attacking, you know, sort of just putting it near the branches, across the branches in some way that were attached to the tree, would that help? No, I don't think so anyway. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not an expert, but I believe that to be the case. Okay? The point is, the branch, in order to bear fruit, the fruit is coming, but in order to bear fruit, the branch has to remain in the tree. It has to remain attached to the tree. And so that is Jesus' basic point in these verses. Do you see? Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so he goes on. I am the vine. Do you see verse 5? You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now, that, this is putting it more positively. Do you see? And we'll come back to that in, in verses 9 to 16. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And more than that, if you do not remain in me, verse 6, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And that is what happens to branches cut off from the tree. They are picked up, they're thrown into the fire, and they are burned, he says. Good for nothing, in other words. So do you see what he's saying? He's saying this picture of the lone Christian trudging along, relying on their own strength and resources, that picture is completely wrong. You see? Because not only has Jesus taken the burden of our sin on his shoulders and made us clean, you know, he says, you are clean, verse 3. He's done that. In doing that, he has connected us to him. As he takes our sin, we become connected to Jesus. So that now what happens is we actually walk on together remaining in him and in fact it's not simply that he sort of walks next to us it's even closer than that can you see that because it says us in him and also he in us can you see that in verse four it's about as intimate as you can possibly get and it is in stark contrast to how we so often imagine living as a christian so you know often we think of it oh it's it's a sort of big transaction jesus has paid my debt so now I have to do all I can to pay him back. And it's a kind of impersonal, non-relational, you know, I just need to keep the rules now. I need to avoid sin as much as I can till I die. And, you know, when I think of times when I personally have sort of given up in some way in living as a Christian, you know, well, I, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered with, with whatever it is. I can't be bothered to go to church today. You know, that, that is harder when you're a vicar, I have to say, not to go to church. But, you know, I have been a Christian for quite a lot longer than I have been a vicar. 
And I remember that temptation. When, I, um, you know, when I've sort of thought, oh, I can't be bothered to read the Bible today. I can't be bothered to pray. It's often because, actually, what I've done is I have turned the Christian life into a list of things that I need to do to keep God happy. And, you know, keeping God happy is hard, isn't it? And why do I need to keep him happy anyway when I'm tired today? And, you know, do you know what? I can't really be bothered. See, the problem is, when I'm, when I'm thinking like that, and I don't know if that sounds familiar at all if you, if you are trusting Jesus, the problem is I've forgotten that first, following Jesus is about remaining in Christ. He lives in me and I live in him. That is the Christian life, and we go on together. So, okay then, we've, got, we've established that then, Jesus, but what does that then actually mean? What does this look like, this remaining in you, this going on together? What kind of intimacy are you talking about, Jesus? Well, that is what we come to next, as he then spells out what he means in verses 9 to, to 17. And so we come, secondly, to the second main point. If you do remain in Christ, you will bear fruit. If you do remain in Christ, you will bear fruit. And again, what we see is that remaining in Christ breaks down into obeying like Jesus, loving like Jesus, and praying with confidence. That's what he highlights in these verses. And again, he's, he's circular, he's, he's like a musician, he kind of riffs on the themes, goes backwards and forwards between them. But let's look at each of these, and we'll have to dot around a little bit but obeying like Jesus first of all back in verse 5 we saw that the flip side of the negative is a positive if you remain in me and I in you you will bear much fruit he said that back in verse 5 but he comes back to it now do you notice the logic so he says if you don't remain you can't bear fruit but then the logic this is notice this if you do remain it's not just that you can bear fruit, which sounds like it might, might be the opposite of you can't bear fruit, you can bear fruit, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just that you can bear fruit. He says, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. Do you notice that? So there's a kind of inevitability about it. It's a promise, and it's a promise that about fruit that flows out of the deepest intimacy with Jesus. So verse 10, have a look at this, verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And just just take a moment, slow down and think, what is he actually saying there, Jesus, as he says that in verse 10? Do you notice what he's doing? He's comparing the quality of the relationship that we can have with him with the quality of the relationship that he has with God the Father. Do you see that? Isn't that absolutely mind-blowing? See, this isn't just him sort of issuing an invitation where he says, come to the palace and uh, you can go to the back door and you can get some crumbs if you're lucky. It's not that kind of invitation that he's issuing us. This is him saying, come right in. You come to the palace, you can come right in. You can come to the table as we all feast together. As friends, not as mere servants. Do you see that? Verses 13 to 15, he talks about this. You're friends, more than servants. You are friends. Okay, so how do you have that kind of intimacy then? How do you get that? Well, he says, you keep my commands. 
verse 10. You keep my commands. Now, I don't know how you hear that, but it's very easy to hear that and think, well, hang on a minute. Does that mean then it all depends on me obeying Jesus? And if it does depend on me obeying Jesus, I know I'll never be good enough. I'll never be able to do this. Well, let's just hear very clearly what he's saying. Because we've just been told this idea of bearing fruit, it isn't a possibility. It's an inevitability if we're connected to Jesus. So this is about producing what Jesus is already producing in us. So this isn't about saying, well, you've somehow got to attach yourself to the tree and start bearing fruit. You know, you're a branch that naturally is off the tree and you've got to kind of glue yourself on and, and, and start, um, you know, get the glue out. And you're like, I really am part of this apple tree, honest, I'm, I really am. No, this is, this is about producing the fruit that is inevitably going to come when you are a believer who trusts in Jesus as you remain in the tree. And of course, we know with trees, just to stretch the metaphor slightly, so, so bear with me, but if you think about different apple trees, okay, different apple trees will produce different amounts of fruit and different qualities of fruit. And Jesus' Jesus's point isn't that this intimacy comes from as long as you produce as much fruit as you can, that's the most amazing fruit that is possible. He just says that this intimacy comes as you produce fruit, full stop. So it's like saying, how do you identify an apple tree? The question isn't, well, how good is the fruit? If you're trying to identify an apple tree. What's the, the question with an apple tree is, is there any fruit at all? doesn't really matter how good it is it's just is there fruit and that is the kind of question here do you see and notice with that obedience that Jesus talks about comes a whole lot of joy according to Jesus that isn't what we normally associate with obeying Jesus but look at verse 11 I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete I'm telling you about obeying like I obey my father so that you can know me with the same kind of intimacy and joy. And I think that is a great encouragement when we face temptation and half-heartedness. See, it's often said that there is nothing more miserable than a half-hearted Christian. Nothing more miserable than a half-hearted Christian. Don Carson, a a New Testament commentator, puts it like this. He says, there's nothing more miserable than a half-hearted Christian because the half-hearted Christian doesn't love sin enough to enjoy it and doesn't love Christ enough to relish holiness. You see that? Doesn't it? Because that's that's what you're like. If you're a half-hearted Christian, you're like, well, I know I'm not supposed to sin, so I kind of like sinning, but I'm not allowed to enjoy it, so I'm going to sort of half not enjoy it but I don't really want to be holy either. And you just end up being totally miserable, stuck in the middle, hating everything. Well, the root out of that, you see, Jesus is saying, is obeying Jesus and finding the deepest intimacy as we do that. And then he goes on. It's not just obeying like Jesus, it is loving like Jesus. So, okay, how do you obey you Jesus what does that actually look like well it looks like loving one another and this is striking because it makes living this out and enjoying this kind of intimacy and relationship with Jesus into a thing that we 
We don't do by, our, um, don't do by ourselves, but we do together. And that picture of the Christian life trudging down the road utterly alone is wrong twice over. Because the Christian life is lived in union with Christ, and because of that union with Christ, it's lived in relationship with one another as well, as being part of the body of Christ together. And so part of how we experience God's love and the intimacy of being in the vine will be through his people. And so if we don't spend time with his people and we don't prioritise that and we don't see that as all that important, well, don't be surprised if we also then feel pretty far from God and are not actually enjoying particularly deep intimacy with him. That was one of the things that first struck me about the leaders of the youth group that I joined when I was 17 as a a non-Christian. It was that they treated people differently from how I usually saw adults treat young people. They genuinely cared about them. They gave up their time for them. You know, no one was paying them. Why would they do it? Well, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus, of course, is talking about, first of all, about himself. But he's then using that as a model so that we too give ourselves up like I experienced in those leaders. And that's why we really want to prioritise community in the evening service and in this church. And it's not just because it's nice when everyone is friendly or something like that. It's because we believe that it's when we love one another that we get to experience God's love from and in one another. So it's not an optional extra if we can spare the time, you see. It is the Christian life. It is what we're here for. We need one another. And then finally and briefly, Jesus talks about bearing fruit as being about praying with confidence. This final element of this intimacy is being able to talk to God in prayer. See, at face value, the promises he makes are pretty huge. He said it first back in chapter 14, and now again first here in verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then in verse 16, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. But, you know, before our minds and our hearts turn too quickly to kind of, I don't know, whatever it might be, houses, exam results, amazing jobs, relationships, everything else in between. Look at what comes before in both cases. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, verse 7. And then verse 16, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, which we've already seen is about obeying what he says, particularly in terms of loving one another. So that is the context in which he says you can ask for anything. It's first and foremost about asking him for things that are in line with his words and his commands that he's given us, that we're living out, as it were. So it's so, it's so much more than, you know, Lord, give me stuff. It's, Lord, help me be more loving. Help me be more obedient. Help me bear fruit. And he's saying, when you pray that, he's going to answer you. And if we're tempted to think, well, you know, that's a bit naff. I don't really want that. I'd rather have the stuff, actually, if that's all right. Then, well, we're we're really missing what Jesus is saying this is all about. Because he's saying, look, on offer here is the deepest 
possible intimacy that is modelled on his love for his father, his, the deepest joy, complete joy we saw. And if we don't quite believe that that can be true, well, the implication is try it. If you believe in Jesus, you're not being asked to do something weird and foreign. You are being asked to do something that is entirely in keeping with your new identity, your new status as part of the vine that is bearing fruit. You're not a branch that's been stuck on with glue and might fall off at any time and be revealed to be a fake. You are part of the vine if you're believing in Jesus. If you're not yet believing in Jesus, then the invitation is there. Come and put your trust in him and become part of this vine. And then, not just so that you can bear fruit, but in order that you will bear fruit. So what are we waiting for? Let's get on with bearing fruit, living for Jesus, seeking to grow in obedience to him, growing in love for him, love for one another, praying with confidence. Let's pray now. Father God, we thank you for that image of the vine. And joined to Jesus, we want to live our lives bearing fruit that you promise will come when we trust in Jesus, when we remain in him. So help us to bear the fruit of becoming more like Jesus in our lives, obeying like him and loving like him and praying and trusting you confidently just as he did too so that you might use us to bring glory to you as we head on in our lives not seeing Jesus face to face nevertheless we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit we thank you that we are not alone we thank you that we are joined to Jesus, friends with him. And we can live knowing him more and more intimately as we go through our lives, looking forward to what he will do through us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.